How does God's sovereignty come into play in regards to our plans and choices? In other words, how do we know that our plans line up with the plans that the Lord has for us? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Once again, you are listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Wednesday, April the 25th of 2012, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today for our next uh, installment in our study of the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be covering verses 19, the second half of verse 19, through 29. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to Romans 15, 19 to 29, and we'll get started with that here in just a moment. But uh, I want to apologize to you guys, first of all, that uh, we haven't had a Romans lesson in a while. Um, You know, we did our normal Mark lesson, and then I got extremely sick um, like three weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I I had this this fever one day and uh, felt like I was kind of just had no energy. And... Um, through the week, you know, I, I just, I, I had no energy. And so, um, you know, I decided, you know, let's, let's go ahead and put up the, the five reasons I reject evolution. And, uh, the next week I still wasn't feeling very well. So we put up the, the Easter, um, podcast, the resurrection, uh, being the ultimate game changer. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that. I mean, that's a seasonal one, so it's kind of normal to put that up anyway. Uh, but then last week, um, I was, I was still really sick, um, you know, just uh, a lot of, uh, you know, congestion in my in my head and in my lungs. And so after about two and a half weeks of being sick, I finally decided to go ahead and go to, uh, to see a doctor. I haven't gone to a doctor since 2008. I try to keep myself pretty healthy. But um, yeah, after two and a half weeks of being sick and uh, losing my voice, I mean, I, by, um, you know, by last week, I, I had nothing left uh, in my throat at all. I had, I had no, uh, no ability to speak at all. So, uh, so we had to put another Mark lesson up. So uh, I, I kind of miss doing the Romans lessons. I'm not trying to speed through Romans by any means, but uh, at the same time, we're getting close to the end, and I'm uh, anxious to finish up this study on the book of Romans. It's been a good study. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I'm sorry. Um, you know, ended up going to the doctor last week, taking antibiotics, and uh, I'm doing better, obviously. I'm still kind of... Uh, Still kind of recovering, if you can believe that. So, unfortunately, this means that my marathon in June is off. Um, you know, I was in the middle of training, but I've missed like three or four weeks of, of training now. And uh, for running my first full marathon, man, you, you can't miss that much uh, that much training. So, you know, there are going to be other marathons that come up. And I thought it would be cool to do it right after my 40th birthday. And, you know, it would have been. But, um, you know, there will be other opportunities. So, uh, yeah, that one's off. Maybe I'll do the half marathon instead, but, um, you know, I've still got to recover. I'm still not, uh, a hundred percent. So 
Anyway, I want to apologize about that. Last thing before we get started. This is a big one, big announcement. Uh, today is the last day of this free promotion where you can get all of my books that are on Amazon's Kindle for free. All you have to do, go to Amazon.com and type in my name, Toby Logsdon, L-O-G-S-D-O-N, and uh, that should bring up a list of all of um, all the books that I've written, and they are all free today only. Um, a few weeks back, I had told you guys, uh, you know, follow me on Facebook or, you know, follow the, the BibleStudyPodcast.org page on Facebook or follow me on Twitter uh, because I'd be announcing that these things would be free soon. And this is it. Uh, they were uh, free starting Monday, uh, and today is the last day of the promotion. So make sure that you, uh, that you head on over to Amazon.com and pick those up. So anyway, let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your providence. We thank you for loving us, for taking care of us, Lord. And we thank you uh, that this ministry continues. I thank you personally, Lord, for my health, uh, that it's being restored through modern medicine. And Lord, we realize that that uh, that's your providence as well. And Lord, we just pray that today uh, our message will resonate in us, that it'll be relevant to our lives, that we'll see how it relates to our lives and the plans that we make. Lord, teach us to be obedient to you through your word as we study it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, do you have a plan for your life? Sounds like a parent, right? You know, I'd say that most people actually do have a plan for what they want to do with their lives. Uh, You know, most kids for example, are able to tell you what they want to do when they grow up by the time they're done with kindergarten. You know what I mean? I mean, my daughter, for example, you know, she, um, you know, just a couple of years ago, she was saying, you know, that she wanted to be a doctor, an artist, and a cake decorator. Yeah, all three simultaneously. <laughs> and, you know, looking back on my own life, you know, I had no intention of being where I am right now. Uh, you know, when I, when I graduated high school, I had these aspirations of being either an attorney or an FBI agent, which are two fields which might seem like they have a lot in common, but really they're, they're extremely different. Uh, but by the time I had become a sophomore in college, um, I'd pretty much settled on a career as an attorney. After all, I have a condition called anosmia, which is a condition that basically just prevents me from being able to smell anything. My olfactory nerve uh, doesn't work or it's not connected or something. But, you know, I, I just couldn't imagine how that could fit into a career in law enforcement. And I still don't know how that could fit into a career in law enforcement, by the way. Uh, and then Jesus found me in the middle of my junior year in college. And things things started to get interesting. Things started to change. And as I got more and more involved with the church that I was going to, and as I got to know the pastor better, uh, in the middle of my senior year of college, the pastor of this church suggested to me the possibility of just praying about and considering going to seminary. Just just praying about it. Just considering it. Because uh, he saw a gifting in me for vocational ministry. Um you know, I, I wasn't so sure. I, w- I was really apprehensive, but I agreed, you know, okay, I'll, I'll pray about it. And I talked a lot with him about it in the future, and I decided that, well, it didn't hurt to apply to seminary, and, you know, I'd see what happened from there. And, um, you know, if you know my testimony, you know that I only stayed enrolled at Dallas Theological Seminary for one year. Of course, I ended up going back to seminary several years later. But when I was at Dallas Theological Seminary, 
you know, I'd gotten married in between semesters, and honestly, I was just too young in my faith to be there. Seminarians don't jokingly call it cemetery, you know, seminary, cemetery. They don't call it uh, cemetery in a joking way for nothing, believe me. I was spiritually malnourished, and it happens to a lot of seminarians. And I ended up dealing table games in the casinos of Las Vegas before receiving that call to full-time ministry again and eventually going back to seminary and completing my seminary education. Well, the point of all this discussion is just to point out the fact that as I look back through my life, I've made a lot of plans for what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. I've even tried to do good things, you know, like plant a church, only to have my life take a drastic change in direction. Uh, The psalmist was absolutely correct when he wrote that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. The fact is, you know, the average person has several career changes. Some statistics will report that people have as many as seven career changes, but I'd say that's not really a reliable number because nobody's exactly sure how to define exactly what constitutes a career change. I mean, is getting a promotion a career change? Is making a lateral move but staying in the same company a career change? There's really no unanimous consensus. The question that we might ask is, how do we stay in the will of God, but at the same time make plans for our future? We're going to see today that Paul had made some plans too, some of which had come to pass, and some of which actually failed miserably. Now we should remember that most of the people in Paul's audience, that is the church in Rome, were probably Gentiles. It was a heavily populated Gentile area. And that Paul has recently pointed out in the text here that in his mind, the Gentiles he had evangelized and ministered to are part of an offering that he has prepared for the Lord of sorts. And the result of God's work through him was, as Paul noted in the previous verse, verse 18, that the obedience of the Gentiles was demonstrated in both word and deed in the power of signs and wonders through the Holy Spirit. And Paul was proud of his spiritual children, you know, those that he had evangelized and and raised in the faith. He was proud of his spiritual children the same way that, you know, a biological father is proud of his children when they accomplish something great. And at this point in our text, Paul's going to switch gears and reveal what some of his plans for the future are and how the church in Rome comes into play with his future plans. And so thus Paul continues by writing in uh, Romans chapter 15, the second half of verse 19 through 21. Paul writes, So that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Now, Jesus had told his followers that they were to take the gospel message, the good news that God's grace is available to anyone and everyone who will trust in Jesus alone for their salvation. Jesus had told them on several occasions to take the gospel message out. And Paul was certainly familiar with the Great Commission, that's what we call it, but he also received a personal commission from the Lord. His personal commission was to take the gospel message to the Gentiles. So he points out here that his ministry has reached from Jerusalem up to as far as Illyricum, which is located in modern-day Serbia, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, That area right there, kind of around Greece, a little bit north of Greece. 
Uh, but in Paul's day and age, that was an enormous amount of land, enormous amount of um, area to cover and plant multiple churches in. Now, if you're familiar with Paul's typical strategy for planting a church, he didn't wait until he had a massive group of people who are ready to launch a church. You know, that's how we launch a church these days. That wasn't Paul's strategy. No, he'd go into a new city, go to the temple. He'd end up finding a couple Jews, a few Jews maybe, and moving on to the Gentiles in the area, evangelizing uh, with the gospel message. With the church in Thessalonica, for example, Paul was there for less than three months. Now, that's not a lot of time to establish some interpersonal relationships with those people, much less plant a church. But Paul's philosophy of ministry was that he would evangelize, train up a small group of leaders, and move on, trusting the Holy Spirit to do his job, the Holy Spirit's job, in leading and developing a community of Christ followers. You know, a few years back when I was in seminary, uh, I knew a, a really opinionated guy, and no, I'm not referring to myself in the third person here. I, I uh, do tend to be a, a very opinionated person. I, I used to be a lot more opinionated than I am now, but the Lord has humbled me enough that, um, you know, I'm, I'm now learning how to pick my battles wisely. But anyway, I knew this guy who was really opinionated in seminary, and he was of the opinion that nobody should sit under a minister or a pastor who doesn't have a seminary education. Uh, his argument went something like this. You know, you, you wouldn't go to a doctor that hadn't graduated from medical school, so why would you sit under a pastor who hadn't gone to seminary? And I would say that maybe he has a point, but only to an extent. This, this analogy that he gives isn't a perfect one. In fact, I might counter that argument with another analogy. Let's say that you're out in the desert, and you're starving. You know, you're, you're dying of starvation, and someone comes by and offers you a sandwich. Are you going to eat it? I mean, you don't know if the guy has taken the steps that the law requires when serving food to ensure that the sandwich is sanitary. You don't know. You know, it, it could be spoiled. Or how about this? You know, um, let's say you're in a country where you see a child dying of a disease and you know that there's a local herb that will cure that disease. Do you give the cure to the child or do you wait for a doctor to arrive knowing that the doctor might not get there in time to save the child? Of course, you give that child as much help as you can. Back to the subject at hand here. Do you know what the disease is? The disease is sin, right? Sin is the disease. Do you know what the cure is? Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is the cure for that disease. So enough said. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he commissioned all of his followers with the responsibility of evangelism, of taking the good news out among the people. Now, for some people, that means going on foreign missions, but for others, maybe it means just going across the street to talk with your neighbor. You know, we can learn a lot from Paul's ability to trust the Holy Spirit in developing and guiding followers of Jesus. You don't need to go to seminary to preach the gospel, and you don't need to use some, you know, formulaic method of evangelizing. You know, they're, they're several methods out there that you can, you know, you can buy all this coursework and go through the coursework. You don't need to do all that. Just be yourself. And the, the most important thing, obviously, is to listen to and follow the Holy Spirit. And don't be afraid to talk about spiritual issues and spiritual things with those whom you're surrounded by. So Paul says that he aspired to preach the gospel in places where it hadn't yet been spread. 
he wasn't interested in going into an area where the message had already been spread by someone else because, well, I think part of it is because he didn't want to confuse those who were being spiritually mentored and monitored by someone else. I mean, we catch a glimpse of the confusion that was going on in the city of Corinth where those who were baptized by Peter were arguing with those who had been baptized by Paul or by Apollos. And it wasn't that their messages were contradictory. No, you know, their, their emphases and their methods were probably very different. And that was creating some confusion and some dysfunction among the church. But the main reason, I think, Paul doesn't want to go where believers were already established was because he knew that there were places where the message hadn't spread yet, and those places received priority. Uh, Paul was undoubtedly driven by the Great Commission, but he was also driven by Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15, which is what Paul quotes here. God's word prophesied that these people who knew nothing about Jehovah God would respond positively to it, and knowing that was good enough for Paul. But this is all a glimpse of what has driven Paul so far in the past. With his motive established, he continues by sharing his plans for the future by writing here in verse 22, For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. Well, what's been holding Paul back from going to visit the church in Rome? Remember, all the way back in the opening of the book, the first chapter, first few verses, he expressed a desire to come and visit them. But now he's saying that he's been hindered in some way or, or held back. The most obvious explanation for him being prevented from going is just knowing that they don't need him as badly as other areas do. You know, they're already an established church. They're already an established group of believers, and there are still plenty of areas that can't make the same claim. There's still a lot of people who haven't heard the gospel message, and so they get priority. So maybe it's one of those things that Paul has on his to-do list, you know, going to visit the church in Rome, but it keeps getting dropped a notch because other opportunities are arising. That's the first possibility. But, you know, it's also possible that he's referring indirectly to the imperial edict of Rome in AD 44, which mandated that all Jews evacuate the city of Rome. That might have prevented him from going into Rome as well because he was half Jewish. Whatever the case, Paul had this intention, he, these plans of going to Rome, but those plans kept experiencing setbacks. Let's continue, verses 23 to 25. Paul writes, But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. Paul's work had kept him on the eastern ridge of the region, the eastern edge of the region. But he had long dreamed of expanding his ministry into the west. That's what Rome represents. And not only to Rome, but to Spain. Spain is obviously even further west. And we know that Paul never made it to either place. His plan was to head out to Spain and stop at Rome along the way. But first, he intended to head down to Jerusalem. And I believe that Jerusalem was always, you know, Paul's favorite place. He loved the Jewish people. I mean, the guy said that he wished he could take the place in hell of those Jews who had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. I'd say that he definitely had a heart, a love for his own people. And it's amazing that he kept going back to them. You know, he told the church in Corinth that five times he had received 39 lashes from the Jews. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. And he goes on and on in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. 
but he loved his people nevertheless. He does specifically tell us here, however, that his intention is to visit the saints. Did he plan on doing any evangelism among the regular Jews, the non uh, the non converted Jews as well? I'm sure that he did. No doubt that he did. But what happened when he got to Jerusalem? Well, the Lord appeared to Paul and told him to hit the road. Get out of town. Paul reports in Acts chapter 22, verse 18, that the Lord came to him and said, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And what did Paul do with this? Well, he talked back to the Lord. He sinned by making it clear that he was putting his own plans before the plans that God had for him. And so finally, the Lord cuts him off and says, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. But Paul was as stubborn as they come. Man, that guy was stubborn. He was going to have to learn the hard way. And so he spent the rest of his life in captivity. It was in captivity, in prison, that he wrote many of his letters. His letters to Timothy and Titus were written in captivity, as were his letters to the Ephesians, the Philippians, Colossians, and to Philemon. Because of Paul's disobedience, his sin, the remaining years that he had for ministry were spent in chains. He still bore a lot of fruit, obviously, but his disobedience cost him the opportunity to travel freely as a missionary. And I'm convinced that the reason that the Holy Spirit wanted this part of the letter included in the pages of Scripture is to show us the danger of following our own desires and failing to yield to him when God has made it clear to us that he has other plans for our lives. Paul's plans didn't pan out, but despite his disobedience, obviously God continued to work in and through him while he was in prison, and God was still glorified through the letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. I mean, how awesome is it to know that God can bring glory to himself despite our disobedience? That's exactly what he does in this case. Sadly, nobody went to Spain with the gospel message until about 200 years later. Year 251 marks the establishment of Christianity in Spain. How crazy is it to think that Paul was praying for that country 200 years, two full centuries prior to the gospel finally reaching that country. Now, this isn't to say that we shouldn't make plans for our lives, by the way. It's just to say that we must put our trust in the Lord above and beyond our plans. He rightfully owns us, and if he is the Lord of our lives, and he is, then he's also the Lord of our plans. We have to maintain the attitude that God may do with us as he wishes. And when he lays a burden on our hearts, a conviction on our hearts to do something or to go someplace, we'd be foolish to ignore it until it goes away. Paul's desires were good. I mean, to spread the gospel uh, out west to Spain, that's a great thing, right? But a good act isn't a ticket to escape obedience. Let me say that again. A good act isn't a ticket to escape obedience obedience. So as he's writing this, as Paul's writing this letter to the church in Rome, his plan is to go down to Jerusalem and visit the saints there. He gives us further insight for his motives for going there in the verses that follow. He writes in verses 26 to 29, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister 
to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So we're talking about giving here. Um, And you know, there are a lot of charities and causes out there that rely on the support of donors. And there's a lot of confusion about the topic of how the Christ follower should give. Are we expected to tithe? You know, actually, there is no tithe in the New Testament. And I kind of shudder when I hear a preacher refer to God's challenge to the people of Israel in the book of Malachi as a means of justifying a New Testament tithe. When a preacher refers to those passages in Malachi, they are abusing the text. It's totally taking it out of context. There is no New Testament tithe. Our giving is not out of obligation. A tithe is a, is a giving out of obligation. But our giving in the New Testament church is not out of obligation, but out of a heart that's led by the Holy Spirit. Remember, in the Old Testament, the people didn't have the Holy Spirit to lead them. It was only when Jesus said, I will send another helper, and that's the Holy Spirit. So now we have the Holy Spirit to lead us. We don't need a law of tithing. Now, there's certainly a principle here that Paul's touching on, which is related to giving, and that is that our giving should be in accordance with our blessing. If a church or a ministry is a source of blessing to you or someone that you know, ask yourself the question, how are they staying in business? Who's paying the bills? How is the pastor or the minister affording to eat or pay the heating bills during the winter months so that he doesn't freeze to death? And ask yourself, what, what if they couldn't afford to pay the bills? What would happen if they couldn't afford to pay the bills? Now, I know that people freak out when pastors or ministers talk about money, but if there's one thing that I learned very early in my years of ministry, both through personal experience, because I used to be stingy with God, um, so through personal experience and observation, it's that people who get uptight about discussions like this have trouble yielding themselves obediently to the Lord with a joyful spirit. They just do. I know because when I was feeling so far away from God for all those years, every time my wife wanted to give to the church, the attitude in my heart was, what kind of a God would need my money? And that's because, truth be told, money was my God. And you know what? I bet that if I had listened to God for one second, he would have said something like, hey, you know what, Toby, just keep your money. Just keep your money. See if it'll make you happy, because it won't. So listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. He says, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, I wasn't a cheerful giver back then, but I discovered the joy of obedience in time. I've been spiritually blessed so generously by the Lord, it gives me tremendous joy to give financially for the cause of the gospel. As Donald Gray Barnhouse says, quote, If you are spiritually concerned about your giving, first yield yourself to the Lord and ask him to give you discernment so that all that you give may exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, end quote. Now, people have asked me before, Toby, how much should I give? And my answer is generally something like, are you asking me instead of the Holy Spirit? You know, if you want to tithe, uh, you know, 10% is, is a good starting point, I guess, you know, but it's between you and the Holy Spirit. Pray, ask him. 
you know, his desire, God's desire, is that we give graciously and generously whenever we can afford to and whenever there is a need. Uh, your money won't appease God's wrath. Um, there are plenty of people out there that think that, okay, if I, if I just give God 10%, you know, he won't be mad at me. That's not the case. Only your trust in Jesus can appease God's wrath. But your money can be used as a means of exalting Jesus. And that's what the Christ followers at Macedonia and Achaia were committed to doing. And that's the principle that Paul's sharing with us here. And notice that he says they were pleased to do it. They were cheerful givers. They weren't begrudging givers. And by the way, they didn't give so that they would be blessed. They gave because they were blessed. And it was a blessing for them to have the opportunity to give out of an obedient, cheerful, generous heart. And if a follower of Jesus doesn't give because they can't recognize how greatly they've been blessed, well, all I can say is that there is a much deeper issue going on. You're alive, right? I mean, your salvation is secure, right? And you want a bigger blessing than that? Like I said, there's a deeper issue going on in a case like that. The principle in this passage, the predominant principle in this passage, is being fully yielded to the Holy Spirit's calling and direction, whether it's your plans or your money or whatever. You don't belong to yourself, and nothing that you own, including your own life, belongs to you. It all belongs to the Lord. So yield to him. So submit to him. So obey him, not only with your life, but honor him by being a good and faithful steward with all that he's blessed you with, whether that's your time, your home, your mind, relationships that you have, or anything else that you can think of that the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart right now as I'm speaking. So go ahead and make plans for your life. That's fine. But if the Lord isn't at the center of it, or if he has something else planned for you that he's made clear to you, do your best to just go with the flow and get out of the way. How do we know that what we're doing is in accordance with the will of God? Just do as you're doing until he places a strong conviction on your heart that leads you elsewhere or to do otherwise and obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that obedience is something that you take very seriously. And so I pray, Lord, that you would convict us through your Holy Spirit and teach us to be a people who are fully yielded to you with all of our resources, Lord, with our lives, with everything that we have. May we seek you, may we seek your ways, and may we exalt your Son, Jesus Christ, in everything and with everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus.